Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Today in history in 1979 at 4 a.m., an automatic valve mistakenly closed at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, culminating in radioactive leakage. Welcome to What the Fuck History, where we discuss the wackiest and weirdest things that make us say, well, what the fuck history. I am your host, Zachary, and I made sure to set out the good plates for you. So don't you be late to dinner. My name's Megan, and uh, I'm going to be that person who comes to dinner and just like brings bad news, like really like morbid, like true crime that I've been listening to, and I will ruin family dinner. And I'm Matt. Today I learned that humans don't have skin receptors for wet. So anytime you have felt wet, it is because of context clues and temperature changes. Huh. Hmm. I mean, that makes sense because your skin is, like, semi-hydrophobic. Semi. That makes as I stick my hand fully in my cup of tea. <laughs> so essentially, yeah, but you know it's wet because it's hot. Right. Well, so is this wet? So essentially, you know that you are wet because the items that you wear, like a bathing suit, are not hydrophobic, yeah. and the context clue of having been in water gives you like. You know that the water's cold, and so you know that you are wet. But okay. we don't have, like, a skin receptor to tell us that we are feeling the sensation of wet. We just okay, have but, a skin but... receptor for hot, cold. Matt. Yes. If no feel wet. Yes. Why shower so good? <laughs> Cause if Because hot. If no feel hot. wet. If no feel wet, yeah. why beauty of a waterfall? Okay, okay. Stop. So here's the thing. If no feel wet in the context of a waterfall, in the context of a waterfall, what? that has nothing to do with how beautiful it is, whether or not you're no. wet while you're looking at it. Um, no, no, I think he has a point. Uh, <laughs> the I'm, the I'm, third I'm... question that you asked, if no feel wet, why cannonball cannot be explained by science. All right, okay. That's true. I've gotten to the hard facts. That's all I care about. But why shower Why shower good is hot. warm. Is hot. Because yeah. spicy. Because hot. Because spice. Yeah. Um, That's true. Sometimes I just, like, take a little take a little stool. Yeah. Right? And I put it in the uh-huh. shower, and then I just sit Oh, there. so you're a 90-year-old really? woman. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, like, when I got, when I, when my tummy hurts, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I take, take a yeah. stool, and I just, I let it pour over me. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so. I, I've never done that because I feel like. Because you're not 90, Zach. Like, you can admit it. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not fine 90. With how I, old I am. I, like, Megan, do whatever makes you feel happy. But I think if I ever sat down in a shower, that would be me giving up on life. <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've fully given up when I'm sitting in the shower. I, my eyes are closed. My head is like hanging. Yeah, like, like, but like, I don't think there's like what I'm saying is like that's giving up to me in a way that I can never recover from. Yeah, <laughs> I Zach, that's fine. I'm comfortable in how I give up. Well, okay, we all have to give up in. But we all give way up in our own ways. With. But like, what we all give up in our own. The ways. other thing that's great is. Uh, I do this kind of, but like Liz gave it a name, which is just rotisserie chickening under the water. Uh-huh. Where you just like stand oh, under the water and like kind turn. of like slowly rotate, so oh. it just like gets yeah, all. O- it's all. It's so good. That's how Zach it's, gives up. I, it's not giving that, yeah, up. It's just like, enjoying every the little the little bit of enjoying the little bit I, of warmth. But, well, how is that? How yeah. is that different than sitting? It's it's the bringing a different object into the shower with me <laughs> that I think oh that's me the off. giving up yeah that's, that's where okay uh why why work harder and not smarter hey so you know, like we're gonna get this podcast started the now floor is far away. <laughs> um all right i'm a lot of person to be on the floor <laughs> <laughs> just like, all right everyone we get... have set our strikes back to zero we played a game of rock, paper, scissors that only occurred in our mind, and the order for tonight is That's me, true. followed by Zach, followed by our good friend, the 90-year-old Megan. That's true. That's facts. Facts. Um, yeah, facts. like, why don't you just congratulate me on making it so far in this economy? I really, <laughs> congrats on being 90. Congrats on having Thanks. enough money to buy a stool for your shower. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's like more like one of those ones that your mom yeah. uses to reach no, the top shelf in a cabinet. It's, it's what you use for shower time, Grandma. Yeah, it's. I wonder where that stool is. <laughs> <laughs> it's on a quest like the Brave Little Toaster. Oh my god. Yeah, bro. I hope I can find it because like sitting. Because in the shower she needs to sit in the like shower today. My tummy hurts. Okay, okay, I'm gonna start telling my story now if you don't mind. I would love to hear that. I don't mind. I, in fact, encourage it. Um, So this is another one of those great stories where many of the facts about this might have been made up. Um, Ah, Procopius method. I love it. Yeah, Procopius. But I'm going to stick to what we know, and I'm going to give you info on the things uh, this woman is credited for uh, a little bit later in the story. Okay. What if you stuck to the things you didn't know and then we filled in the I mean, place? we could also do that. Uh, it would be wildly no, unsatisfying, no, go, but... Go with what you're comfortable I'll, with. One of these days, we should just make up a ton of shit and see if anyone fact-checks fact us. Um, but my story brings me back into the wonderful subcategory of wonderfully weird women of history. Um, and th- <laughs> What? <laughs> for that <laughs> okay um but i'm gonna be talking about a woman by the name of uh julie uh Daubigny, i think I, she's french um okay this will be one of the only times that you catch me talking about the french 
that this woman was way too cool not to talk about. So it makes up for it. Um, okay. She was born in 1673. Uh, it is believed that she was born in Paris, France. It's uh, not confirmed whether or not the city smelt like piss in 1673. Uh, oh, we, we can never know. What's that? I mean, like, we can know that Paris smelled like piss. Yeah, well, that's at fair. That time. We can just assume. It's just In fact, that's probably like prime piss. time. What? Prime time for Prime time like to smell like piss. Prime piss time. Got it. Um, prime piss She time. was the daughter of a secretary of King Louis XIV's Master of Horse. Um, okay. As with all great historical figures, her early life is shrouded in mystery. And doesn't become too much clearer until around 1682 when her family moves from Paris to Versailles. Okay. At the age of 14, Julie became the mistress of a man by the name of Louis de Lorraine. Uh, Oh, that was was I'm. I gotta try one of these names. And his seemed like the easiest one to do. Uh, because in French you can never tell if the vowels are real or imaginary. Look, you know what? I'm, yeah. I'm going to say it. Over the past couple weeks, yeah. France has been trying real hard. I think we can try at least one episode real hard for France. We for sure can. And <laughs> I love that they're burning the country to the ground because they tried to raise the age of retirement. By it's like the French government forgot that by they were two French. Years. And then they immediately put up a guillotine. <laughs> um, so anyways, then- uh, Louis de Lorraine was the Count of Armagnac. Uh, again, yeah, I don't know if that's right. pronounced correctly. Um, but while she was 14 and while he was sleeping with her, uh, he arranged a marriage for her with a man by the name of Sior de Maupin. And she became Madame de Maupin. Uh, and as she went on in her career, she began to be referred to as La Maupin. Uh, but that happens later in her life. Uh, soon after the wedding to this man, her husband was shipped off, shipped off to the south of France. Um, okay. And she was kept in Paris for Louis de Lorraine to keep being gross with her. Um, Got it. Because as I mentioned, she's 14. Being 14, gross. yeah. 14 years old. Uh, I actually, for the sake of this story, did not even look up how old he was. When, I don't. But it doesn't matter because she was 14. Yep. Um, so yucky. Julie's father held an important position in court, which meant that he trained, uh, I guess his position just allowed him to be the one training all the pages in court. Um, and he decided instead of like shipping Julie off to a different school, he would just train her right alongside the young boys. Um, okay. So at the young, young age of 14, she was an accomplished swordswoman and was uh, well-read and learned. Um, Okay. So, but in that same year where she got married, she ended up running away with one of her fencing instructors uh, by the name of... I love that. By the name of Serran. 
uh, and uh, the reason that he had to run away was because he was wanted for dueling. Um, and, Excellent. And King Louis had made it illegal. Uh, <laughs> so she ran away with this man. Again, did not check age. She's 14. Anything they do is illegal. Um, the pair ended up in Marseille. Uh, but on their way there, they made money by performing in fencing shows where they would fight and sing. So essentially they would have fights with each other and they would sing um, and entertain uh, taverns or local fairs or anything like that. Uh, okay. Julie would often dress as a man, even though the pair advertised themselves as being Saran and Julie. So the crowd knew that she was a woman um, if they read the posters. Um, like they can fucking read. Like they can read. Uh, but one night, a patron of one of these shows did apparently say that she was too good at fencing to be a girl, at which point she okay. opened her shirt and <laughs> silenced the entire tavern, apparently. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, but once they arrived, once the pair arrived in Marseille, uh, Julie got a job singing with the local opera, uh, where okay. she attracted the attention of a young girl. And I don't know how young this girl was in comparison to her. I'd imagine that they were of comparable age. Maybe the girl was also older. Not much detail is given about this young girl. Um... Uh, even her name she's no one young? knows what her name was she's a girl what's that that's all you need to know she's young she's that's a girl. all you that's, that's all, you, that's you're, all gonna you're gonna get that's all you're gonna uh, get what you also need to know is that the pair became lovers um, okay before this unnamed girl was then sent off to a convent by her parents julie decided to follow her uh and joined the convent not like as a full joiner, but as like a candidate, I can't remember exactly what they, the title that it's given, but she was essentially just like a candidate to join the convent. Um, yeah, they had to, they had to go through none tryouts. None tryouts. Yeah. yeah. How fast can you get from a kneeling position <laughs> to a standing position <laughs> again? Was part, was she like was, on the she test. was a nun in training. Um, a nun in training. But anyways, which you know, going from standing to kneeling, it's a tricky task. Uh, is also tricky task. Yeah, it's important also for like a good sex life. Hey. so she was just training for a lot of things. Hey, you were talking about a fourteen-year-old girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> Megan's like, what? Um. So, anyways, uh, one night, where her parents? What? <laughs> Parents, get get this girl some. Parents. Yeah, get this <laughs> get this girl some parents. Um. So, anyways, one night, uh, <laughs> Julie devises this plan. Um, a nun of the order that they or of the convent that they were at had died, and so uh, Julie runs to where this nun is buried, gets the nun's body, brings it back to the convent puts it in the bed where her lover sleeps and then 
burns the convent. <laughs> All so that he she can run away uh, okay. with her lover. Okay. Um, the pair run away from the convent for three months. Uh, the girl, the unnamed girl, eventually returns to her family. And Julie is sentenced to death in absentia for the crimes of grave robbing, arson, and kidnapping. So essentially, because (laughs) she was on the run, she gets sentenced and found guilty, sentenced to death, but it's in absentia because she wasn't there. They they can't fucking they find can't her. find her and she's like Jason fucking Bourne. She, Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne. Um, she also is tried under her husband's name. Oh, because right. the French at the time couldn't believe that another girl was responsible for the kidnapping of this unnamed girl. So, so her she, whole life has just been a series of, you're a woman, you can't do that. And she said, well, I fucking did. Well, I can. And I want you to know that, like, it's her whole life, but she is incredibly young. Yeah. Um. Yeah, where are her parents? Where, where are her parents, indeed? I think I mentioned that she did run away from her father. Yeah. At least. Well, uh, so this, this girl and her stay together for three months. Um, and then they, they split up and she, uh, Julie continues to travel, uh, the countryside where she meets a man named Comte de Albert, uh, who thought she was a man and challenged her to a duel, uh, which she won and in so doing left him badly injured. So she nursed him back to health and... Uh, the pair became lovers for a time, uh, before splitting up and remaining lifelong friends. Okay. All this eventually leads her back to Paris with a new lover, um, who she met along the way. I can't remember his name and I didn't write it down. I, for those of you that aren't part of our, uh, group chat, which is all of you. Um, I forgot my notes at work today and only looked up the parts of this that really mattered. And some of them are just (laughs) names. Um, and that one got left off. So, uh, anyways, uh, this man that she's traveling with is a singer who's trying to get a job with an opera in Paris. He auditions for the opera and while he's auditioning, he says that he'll only audition under the condition that Julie is also allowed to audition. And they, they're like, I like the solidarity. They're like, fuck it. I guess. Cool. Um, so she auditions and at the age of 17, uh, she gets herself a position in the opera. Okay. But in order for her to start working at the opera, she needed to get herself pardoned for the crimes that she had committed (laughs) while she, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yes. she was on, uh, running running around the countryside for three years. Her little crime sabbatical. Her, got her it. crime sabbatical. So she reached out to uh, Louis de Lorraine uh, and asked him to work up a pardon for her, uh, which he did eventually do. 
Um, okay. So she, she's like, hey, I committed a lot of crimes. And he's like, that's She dope. did a ton of crimes. And he's like, all right, cool. Uh, let me just sweep that under the rug. So she gets herself a job at the opera. Um, but this is where I'm going to venture into some territory about the things that she may not have done. Um, she stays with the opera from 1690 and gains uh, gains popularity with the people of Paris through that period to 1694, where she attended a ball wearing men's clothing and flirted with a noblewoman's daughter and then eventually kissed her to the point where uh, three people who had been trying to be suitors for this woman individually came up to Julie and challenged her to a duel, and she told all of them to meet her at the back garden. Um, come out to the garden, say that to my face. Come out to the now. garden, say that to my face. So all three of these men went out to the garden. She challenged all of them at once beat them all yeah, and then were. went back inside to continue flirting with this woman. As you should. Yes. But, as I mentioned before, dueling was still illegal. <laughs> and so she ended okay. up uh, uh, being forced to flee to Brussels. <laughs> oh my god. Flee so again. while she was... In Brussels, she reportedly became the lover of the Elector of Bavaria, and he ended up paying her 40,000 francs to leave him alone after she stabbed herself with what? a real knife while performing on stage. He considered her to be a little bit too much. <laughs> um, okay, well, she, you know, if you can't stand the heat... Stay out of the kitchen. Get, get she did kitchen. apparently yeah. not take the 40000 Uh She threw it on the ground. And I can't remember if the oh. details said that she, like, spit on it or stomped on it or something. But either I... way, she left. Um, but she... I would have taken yeah, it. <laughs> right. I probably would have, too. But she um, she bounces around a little bit. There are reports that she went to Madrid, but nothing really says um, what she did there. It's also said that, like, throughout her life, she continues to duel people. Um, Good. There are reports that say... That when she dueled people, the men would say that they just got beat up by thugs in the street. And so she took to uh, taking items from these men when she'd duel them and giving back, giving them back the items that she took publicly. And saying, essentially, like, I took this from you when I beat your ass. Um, <laughs> oh but again, that's not... She's actually a hero. Huh? She's actually an icon. Yeah, she's an icon. Uh, but again, that's not really... That's not confirmed. Like, no one has said... Yeah. Like, just a bunch of biographers have written stories about her that get grander and grander. Um, as they should. As they true. should. She sounds like a badass. Uh, so, she bounces around uh, from Brussels to Madrid to other places. But she does make her way back to Paris... 
um, after having been pardoned for dueling uh, because the king's brother put in a good word for her. <laughs> he was basically yeah, just was like, like she's chill awesome. as fuck, so pardon her. Look, all these bitches had it coming. And um, so sure. she ends up going back to the opera. Uh, apparently, she challenges men who are lecherous to the younger girls in the opera. They, she challenges them to a duel um, at every turn. Again, it's not really confirmed whether or not that actually happened, but it is said that she did uh, defend some of the younger girls that were part of the opera. I'd like to think that she's, like, jumping out of bushes. Yeah, just, being I like, challenge you. I challenge you. She's a Pokemon trainer, yeah, to... except it's just dueling with <laughs> yeah, swords. She... I she's love just, that. She's just but, waiting for like... a lecherous man to, like, get into her line of sight, and then she goes, On guard! <laughs> um, Fuck yeah. She's like, get ready, bitch. So in Paris, in 1703, she ends up falling in love with a woman, uh, Madame La Marquise de Florence, And, uh... You know what? That that was pretty I good. Tr- I'm trying. Um, the pair yeah. stayed together for two years in what most biographers refer to as, uh, quote-unquote, perfect harmony. Um, oh. mm-hmm. They were roommates. What's that? And they were and roommates. And they were roommates. <laughs> uh, they stayed together for two years until De Florenza died of a fever. Okay. Um, oh, Julie, it always it always happens. <laughs> Julie, then uh, it's always it's always it a is fever. always a fever. The, you hate to see him go with a fever, but you it is always fever. a fever. Um, so Julie, uh, due to the distress of her lover dying, uh, she went to live in a convent where she died at the ripe old age of thirty three. Jeez! Oh my God, yeah. she got so much I, done. I got I. You gotta know that she lived most of her life between fourteen and seventeen. Yeah, <laughs> I can get that. Yeah, did a whole lot of living in them. She, two I mean, years. listen, she did a whole lot of living in three years. She's like here for a good time, not a long not time. A long time. Yeah. You know Clearly, I mean? but I Jeez. think I think the part of this story that really kind of, as I was reading it, it. I just felt like she was moving from lover to lover, which was really interesting because okay. this is a time before like promiscuity was, I mean, I'm sure people were, but, it, but well, I mean, men were allowed to be right, promiscuous. But women yeah. were not. And like I said, she was even tried as a man in absentia because they couldn't have seen a woman breaking another woman out of a convent. Um, so I just thought it was really interesting that she kept bouncing from person to person and that, you know, she lived, she lived a great deal of her life (laughs) from 14 to 17. It's fucking wild. It is pretty wild. Can you imagine being 14 and being like, man, this lady's hot. Well, imagine, (laughs) imagine being 14 and being like, man, this dude is hot. I'm going to leave with him because he got in a duel yeah i don't yeah dude there's a lot of sketchy shit that happened that she kind of got bumped around but i feel like she was like well 
I'm gonna grab Since life, life handed by me the lemons. Lines. Life handed me lemons. I'm gonna make bisexual goddess energy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so true, though. She's like. I also whatever. love that right after there. leaving, uh, there's no mention of her like reconnecting with her father. Good. He and, sounds like a cunt. And it. <laughs> And at yeah, no well, point in the story is her mother even mentioned at all. <laughs> so, like... We call him like we see him. We, we do call I mean, him like we see him. We call him like we see him. Mom went out for a pack of cigarettes and a gallon of milk, and Dad's just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them both. But Dad did teach her the way of the sword, so... Uh, yeah, fair enough, he's, I guess. He's partially like, to blame does... for her being as cool as she is. Yeah. I mean, the negligence enough. is not To blame. Great. No, no, it's pretty shitty. It's, it's pretty bad. It's awful. I like how you used to blame because she did terrorize the countryside for a good amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, well, that was my story about Julie Diablene. Again. The... I do enjoy, like, your, like, you did give the French the old college I did give try. it the old college try, and I think it was only because... Um, First of all, we did have an entire episode where we made fun of how much Paris smelt like piss. Yeah. Uh, or like I'm not, a, good, I'm, I'm... a good segment of an episode. Yeah. Um, such that we ended that episode with what the piss what the history. Piss. Um, yeah. So I just felt like I should at least give it a try. You can... You can put that on my grave. I do need... <laughs> um, I will need to take a shower, though. Fair enough. You, no, you know what? I, I get that. I get that. You gotta wash the. You gotta wash the Paris smell off you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, speaking of dinner, flawless segue. I know. <laughs> I, flawless. What? That is a word that could be used. Speaking of dinner, flawless segue. Uh, I want to talk tonight about the dinner set gang. Yeah, buddy. All right, well, we <laughs> it was a bad segue. I know. <laughs> I think the worst segue it's was right. the one that killed the owner of Segway. <laughs> yeah, I, I I always forget about that until I remember that. That's a poor way to say that. Uh, anyway, but yes, the dinner set gang. Uh, weird gang for weird name for a gang. I know. Uh, but I think both of you are going to enjoy them, and I think you, the listener at home, will also enjoy them. Uh, because this I don't know, gang... I've heard worse, I guess, like, names for gangs. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of na- gang names, like, especially... This takes around, like, place around 1950, 1960. It, they're all weird, but... They're, like, weird, and it's, like... They couldn't workshop anything because the internet wasn't around. They couldn't like put it out they to Reddit. No, well, yeah, yeah. Do, like a fantasy name generator type. Like, what should our yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. They were also called the Fat Cat Gang. That's a but... better name. Okay, that one's better. Yes, better. and no, but also like it. It needs to be known that this is at least a little bit more creative than mafia names, where it's like Jimmy Two Shoes. Yeah, or like Mikey the Barber. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like, why are you why are you shitting on these names? Well, it's so it's just a lack of creativity, imagination. Right? It's yeah. like we call him Jimmy Two Shoes because he wears two shoes. Like it's not that shouldn't. Okay, I, I will. 
I will say the dinner set gang gets the dinner set gang name and it is creative and you will see why. Okay, cool. Fair. Um, but the other reason that you'll like this is because, uh, this story gives us not one, but two heinous gentlemen of history. Yes. Yes. We've been waiting for the return of the Guys, kings. Guys, the return of the kings. Audience, you have you have wanted it for so long. We see you in the comments saying, like, "Give us a story with two heinous gentlemen of history." And we're just like, "You got to wait, you got to wait. You gotta wait. Here we are." At first light of dawn, look to the east. <laughs> okay. We and there are two heinous gentlemen series. of history. We didn't need to make it a Lord of the Rings reverend. I was about to say, we don't we, have the we, rights for it, but just imagine that triumphant music in the background as we return to this segment. Yes. <laughs> Is it bad that I know I should have pictured Lord of the Rings music, but all I heard was, da-na-na-na-na. I just heard Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. No, Megan, No. Yeah, well, I don't know what to tell you, all right? That's the default, like, the... music in my head. Okay, fair enough. That's the whole music in Megan's brain. Um, but Peter Salerno and Dominic Latella were two bros related by marriage. Chilling in a hot tub, five feet apart because they're not there. It's an yeah. old Vine reference. I know. Well, I was uh, just saying most of our audience like... are probably, like... Oh, they, 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 might they remember know. they were there yeah, I, when the old magics were written. The old magic. Yeah, dude. Like, I think you're severely underestimating the age of not, the audience. They're as know. old as we are. I don't know. If... But yes, so Dominic and Peter, um, they were brothers-in-law. Um, I think that's how you pronounce that. Yeah. Um, but they were related by marriage. Uh, they both got married to twin sisters. Nice. And those twin sisters oh, nice. were Gloria and Sandra Savino. And twins. And twins. So they, like, weren't friends until they, like, both respectively married Gloria and Sandra. And then they were like, well, now we're best fucking buddies. Did we just become best friends? Yup. Want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. Kind of, sort of. We'll get to it. <laughs> but so they marry Gloria and Sandra and they get hitched. And it's it's a real cute way to start a life of crime. Because is uh, it? the Savino sisters, they come from a family that is, well, you guessed it. Criminals. No connected with the mob. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like you can't be known as, like, the whatever sisters unless and you unless are. Yeah. To the mob somewhere. Yeah, like, you just are, like, yeah, dude, you're, like, you're Gloria and Sandra if you're just normal people. If you're the Savino sisters, you're connected to the mob. Yeah, yeah. dude. Like, I'm not surprised that you just told me this because... <laughs> they do sound like mob sisters. Yeah. They sound like mob sisters. It, it's, it's on, but I will say that's just more of a little fun connection. Uh, Peter and Dominic don't actually get involved in mob life at all. Oh, dang. Um, they kind of steer clear of good the mob. Good for them. Life. It's hard well, to stay out. Um, however, they don't stay out of crime because they are gentlemen well, crimesmen, no. of course. Well, good for them. Um, you got to make a living should... somehow. It, it's a living. That's true. <laughs> 
Here I go killing again. It's not honest work. Uh, well, they don't actually kill anyone. We'll okay, get to that. Fine. I was just quoting um, Rick and Rick and Morty. Fair enough. Uh, but I I should get you along explaining to, as to what exactly their crimes were. Please do. Um, so Peter and Dominic are putzing around their regular day lives in 1960s America. You know, specifically if my research is correct, uh, it was around like New York. They they were living in New York at the time. Classic. And you see Peter and Dom... Well, no one lived anywhere else. What? No one lived anywhere else in the 1960s. Oh, that's true. It's only only New York. York. New York and L.A. are the two places that existed. Everywhere else is nothing. That's true. I mean, one could say that those are still the only two places that exist. (laughs) Yeah, and I hate them both. (laughs) That's true. Um, But you see, Peter and Dom were regular Joes like you and I. Uh, They worked blue-collar jobs, and they were just trying to scrape by as they watched the high-nosed elite socialites do whatever fucking high-nosed elite socialites do. And they started coming up with a plan. And after some careful observation and some some thought-out process, um, they observed these stuffy rich bastards at home and noticed something. Rich folks don't eat dinner like the rest of us. Oh my god. Because most rich people, at least at the time of the, their, you know, crimesmanship, um, would eat these, like, long, big, extravagant meals, these, like, five-course dinners served by in-house staff the whole nine yards. And, and meals were, like, very... Like, ritualistic, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like, you weren't allowed to get up from dinner because it was considered really bad form and impolite to get up during dinner if you're a rich, stuffy person. That's fair. So they found their inn, and Peter and Dom become the dinner set gang, the men who only rob from rich shits while they ate their dinner. Not allowed to get up. And so it's it's really interesting the way that they actually planned all these things because they would plan their heists meticulously. And they, Peter and Dom would find like the list of people that were the richest people in America just like going through Forbes. And they would just like yeah, pick a couple well, people. Well, I mean, if they're going to... Forbes is just like rich people bragging. Yeah, it's all right. It's just <laughs> rich people bragging. How rich they and they are. were like just like going down the list of rich people bragging and they would find a bunch of names on the Forbes list of wealthiest Americans. And then they would go see if they could cross-reference the who's who in America to get their addresses. From there, yeah. They would buy copies of Architectural Digest and Town and Country. And get a bunch of pictures of these rich people's, like, estates and mansions. And they put together, like, full maps of these houses from all these pictures in magazines. Wow. And they were basically doing a... That's actually really smart. What? That's so smart. Yeah, and they were, like, doing stakeouts in their living room. Being like, well, nope, we got all these pictures from this and this and this and this. We've built out the entire house. We're ready to go. That's crazy. And so Dominic would then, like, they would, like, go plan out their route. They would find the rich person that they wanted to rob. And they would go and, like, 
you know, sneak up to the house. Dominic would post himself outside the house so that he could have a view of where the, like, dining room was to see what was going on without being spotted. And while dinner service was being served, Peter would climb up the side of the house into the second story. Because, according to Peter, and I quote, the best jewelry is always upstairs. That's true. That's where I keep all my jewelry. Yeah, upstairs. What are you going to do? Keep it downstairs? Like a peasant in this economy? (laughs) So... Dominic is posted up outside. Peter climbs up to the second window, gets himself in. And as soon as Peter enters, he gives himself three minutes inside the house. Every house, three minutes only. Okay. And as soon as he in, he starts, like, he apparently had, like, a sixth sense for finding where the good shit was. Mm-hmm. And he, yes. he would just grab as much jewelry and shiny stuff as possible. Um, and if there was any trouble, anyone in the house looked like they'd, like, kind of knew what was going on, any, like, weird disturbances, Dom would give a whistle, and Peter's just out of there. And the best part about this heist style is, again, like, they're taking advantage of the culture that rich folks have. Yeah. They're only hitting the top wealthy elite in America. Ah. They were the eat the rich crowd before. The eat the rich crowd. Yeah. Yeah. They were the eat yeah, the rich good. while they're eating crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and eat the rich while they're eating yeah, crowd. Yeah. But, like, as I said, they only gave themselves three minutes inside each house. And they did all of this. That's all you need if you're good. That's all you need if you're good. That was basically their philosophy. It's like, we're the best at what we do. We only need three minutes. We got this. <laughs> we're the best at what we do. Let us prove it. But they never carried any weapons on them. Yeah. And they did it without ever interfering with anything. It was quick, clean. Yeah, well, it was like a quick and clean operation. Like, if they thought something was going to go bad, they left without even taking anything. That's awesome. They were like, they never were, no one ever caught them inside of a house. They were never once in their whole career, like, caught red-handed. I just think it's cool that, like, you could actively have a person stealing jewels on the second floor of your house. And if yeah. anyone if anyone started coming upstairs, the one guy signals the other and he's like, can't do it. Whole thing's off. Yep, pretty much. And that was the thing. Like, he was like, whole thing is off. If you got one bracelet and the, you're, it's called off, you go. If you got nothing, you go. It right. doesn't matter. The point was to get in and get out. And what's also so fun about this and that I think is so amazing is – not only do they hit the rich folks in their, like, Long Island mansions and their estates in Connecticut. No, no, no. They found out the vacation schedules. Yes. Of all the rich folks. And they would fly back and forth from New England to Palm Beach, Florida. And hit them at their vacation homes, too. Oh my god, they're actual awesome. gods. <laughs> no rest for the rich. Fuck yeah. I love everything about these men, I've decided. They just keep going back and forth up the East Coast robbing these rich people blind. It's great. It sounds um, like a way to make a living. 
it's a great way to make a living because at the height of their illustrious career, uh, they were apparently stealing on average about a quarter of a million dollars per heist. Wow. Per heist? Per heist. Jesus. It averages out to about a quarter million per heist. Uh, And the FBI... I'd like to know, do you think their, like, wives were really proud? Absolutely. Um, They love it. They they were apparently, like, spending a lot of money on, like, cars and paintings and nights out. Like, they loved being rich because they were stealing so much money. They loved it. And the FBI eventually pins them for several hundred break-ins and the thefts... It's hard to tell because a lot of people start copycatting their style of robbery. Um, yeah, well, when you're yeah. the best. When you're the best, you want people want to copy it. I mean, like, when it's working, you know? It, it, it was working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But they, they uh, are thought to have stolen somewhere between 75 and $150 million in jewels. Kings. Ooh, absolute kings. The largest heist that they ever did, excuse me, they did in a house that was being rented by an heir to the DuPont fortune. Why does that sound? Who are the DuPonts again? So, you know DuPont Chemicals, the largest manufacturers of chemicals in the world? Oh, yeah. No, no. I was like, why does that sound so familiar? Yeah. Like, owns a lot of shit, DuPont. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. I know those rich fucks. (laughs) Those rich fucks. Well, Peter managed to snag from those rich fucks enough jewels to be worth approximately $12 million. Good. Including a 17.65 carat pink diamond worth $1.8 million on its own. Holy shit. God. I don't know if you've seen a 17 carat diamond, but that thing's honking big. Zach, I'm not rich enough, all right? What? I'm not rich enough to have ever seen a diamond that big. No, 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 absolutely not. None of us are. However, like, if you've seen, like, a two-carat diamond ring, multiply that by nine. Yeah, I mean. It's a big fucking rock. Jesus Christ, he's not wrong. (laughs) It's like the Pink Panther diamond. It's a big diamond. it's a big ass diamond. And and these men do this for a long time. They rob from the rich from the 1960s up until like the early 1980s. Which is wild. I believe Dom was born in like 1944, Good. so he's like well into his 40s and they're still robbing homes. <laughs> he brings Good. his uh seat for the shower with him. <laughs> yes. All right. You don't <laughs> You don't have to come at me like that. <laughs> but they do run into a little bit of a problem. Uh-oh. Which is they retire in the early 80s. And their lifestyle that they were living didn't really account for saving a lot. Yeah. Um, So they kind of start to run out of money. And this is also kind of a hard thing to calculate. Because as I said, they're like stealing... 150 million dollars in jewels but at the time their fence was giving them 10 cents on the dollar for every jewel who was giving oh their fence their fence so like the person taking the jewels and making sure that they get paid is like taking his cut which like 10 cents on the dollar was the going rate at the time for fences 
No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I, like it doesn't see. It's not a lot though, but yeah. But like, in in all fairness, I'm I'm doing calculations really quickly. Seventy five million times point one is seven. It's still seven million dollars. Don't get me wrong. Divided by it's two, still it's still seven million. It's, it's still like th- almost four million dollars per person. But like, if you're living like you have four million dollars, you kind of run out of money. Yeah. And to make it worse, Gloria, Peter's wife, gets diagnosed with breast cancer. No. No. And since the money is running out, they can't afford to pay for treatment. No. But it's okay. Because, because the boys go back to work. They can pull off. Oh, the boys. Yeah, I feel the like boys that's every, boys that's are every back action in town. movie where it's like, yeah. we got to pull off one more heist. One more score. One more heist. Just need one more, Arthur. Just enough to save. Save Christmas. Save Christmas. Just save Christmas. It's a Hallmark movie now. Boys are um, back in it's town. It's a Hallmark thievery movie, but yeah. So they they start going back and they start stealing again, uh, in the 1990s, and they come out of retirement and successfully continue doing more heists until they are finally caught on January 21st, 1992 during a heist in Westport, Connecticut. Um, Damn. And they go to jail and I believe... Yeah. Well, you know, not surprised. Not surprised. I believe Peter is out on parole now and living in Florida and Dom passed away in 2017. No. God. I mean, he was born in 44. He was, you know. Let's be honest, bro. He lived a longer life than. He had any right to. Than most people (laughs) in the crime profession deserve. Absolutely. But I think that, like, this story is so interesting because they, they, like, were like, all right, we're not going to hurt anyone. Like, our job will. We're going to steal a bunch of shit, but we're going to steal a bunch of shit from a bunch of rich guys. Yeah. And I think that my favorite, like, crime story, Which is what makes it acceptable. That is what yeah. makes it acceptable. Right. Sure. It is what makes it acceptable, for sure. But, like, I think my favorite crime stories is, like, I remember I talked about the guy who was the art thief, and he just did it because he loved stealing shit. <laughs> he just and had, like, he was born with sticky fingers. Yeah, absolutely. But like Dom and Peter give me the same kind of vibe where they were like, "I'm we're going to go steal a bunch of stuff from a bunch of rich people who will probably not even notice that it's gone." And we're going to live yeah, be like kings so because like... we can. And I have to give them props that like I will not give a person who makes their money off the backs of other people's labor props. Like fuck the billionaires who have used shit pay labor in order to make themselves opulently rich if you want to like be smart and steal all that shit and live like a king i have no fucking complaints about that oh yeah it's a bit of a mixed up morality i know but at the same time i'm like dude you just robbed from these wealthy fucks who had no idea that they were getting robbed from and you did it like goddamn kings and you should live like kings for that I don't know. I don't think that's messed up morality. I think, like, all's fair in love and war at that point, you know? Like, yeah. 
billionaires don't care. Like, they commit crimes literally every single day. Yeah. I don't know. So, you know, people steal from you. That's and you put your house in Forbes or like Home and Garden. Like this is fair game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you wanted to show off. Uh, fuck you. You lost. <laughs> yeah, dude. You wanted to show off. All right, you showed off. Someone used that information. Isn't that what freedom's about? <laughs> Freedom, <Fuck> motherfucker. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I I. That's love a good it. one though. <laughs> but yeah, that's my story. Yeah, that and was a good one. Sticking I, to it. I mean, and I'm sticking to sticking it. Sticking to it. Uh, do you want me to get a jump? Jump into yeah, mine. That would jump be good. on in. We did spend a good portion of the beginning of this year podcast fucking around. So, and now we're about to yeah, find well, out. We are. Megan, tell us the title of your story. Uh, and the award for dynamite goes boom. That, that is. <laughs> I think that needs to be the title of the podcast. I think so, too. <laughs> Fuck well, yeah. Well, I mean, wait until you hear the story. Maybe you don't like the story. Well, no. So. Whether I like the story or not, that is an amazing title. <laughs> it's a good title. I was really inspired. Some I do these at work, so like sometimes I'll be in like a haze when I write these, it's and so then I go back, and I'm her. like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, wow, that was clever. Um, that was like when I said Pompeii before Pompeii uh, became Flambe, and you started laughing, and I was like, I forgot that was in there. <laughs> like, it's just a, it's a fever dream. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the title, and I'll, I'll jump into it. So uh, as I've said before, people in the past had like 80 jobs that it feels like they just gave themselves yeah um like jobs that you can't get anymore you know like they're like i'm an alchemist and an inventor and a travel log writer and a lover and you're like that one of like some of those you just can't get paid some for, of those you know but are not real i mean some of them you can but some of them are just like made up professions so this can be said for our our protagonist, Alfred Noble. Um, so not to be confused with the racehorse uh, or the other Alfred Nobel. Because um, when I was looking this up, uh, the first thing that obviously pops up is like Wikipedia. And uh, when you click on Wikipedia that and it has like more than one entry, um, it'll be like, oh, do you want like, the Nobel Peace Prize guy? Do you want this other guy? Or do you want the racehorse also by this name? And I was like, <laughs> definitely not the horse, but like maybe next time. This this isn't incitatus, understood. <sighs> yeah, I was like, maybe next time we'll do Good it. Old incitatus. Uh, that was a blast from the past. <laughs> incit I know, right? So Alfred Nobel uh was known for being Swedish, a chemist an engineer, an inventor, a businessman, and a philanthropist. And a fish. So 19 different jobs. And a fish in his past life. <laughs> he was a Swedish fish. Oh, he fuck was off. Fish. I'll take the strike. I'll take it. I know. It. That's a strike. I'll take it. Unfortunately. Yeah. You know, being a philanthropist isn't a job. It was Anytime someone's Stark. like, I'm a philanthropist, I'm like, go fuck yourself. 
Yeah, like, that's not a job. That's just, like, a thing you do in your spare that's time. That's just what you do for fun. Bye, ZD, I miss you already. It's, but it's, like, it's just a title you get when you're rich and you don't want to pay taxes. Yeah. When you're rich like, and don't want to pay taxes. It, that's literally what it is. You're just like, I don't want to pay taxes, and I have money that's going to be taxed. What should I Philanthropize. do? Philanthropize. Yeah. So, um, but the best thing that Mr. Nobel is known for is having given his fortune to establishing the Nobel Prize. But we're going to start where this legend uh, began, uh, at his birth. Okay. As, as all good things do start. So, Nobel was born in Stockholm, famous for the syndrome, in 1833. <laughs> Love that description. Uh, he was one of eight children, but most of them died in childhood because the family was impoverished. Um, it was due to his father that Nobel was first interested in engineering, specifically explosives. You know, a bit of a plot twist. Excellent. I'm already loving it. Yeah. The man who invented the Nobel Peace Prize loves fucking explosives. Hell yeah. Um, and so he learned the basics of blowing shit up from his dad in his youth. Uh, maybe this was why his other siblings actually died. Who can say? A conspiracy theory that I am just now starting. <laughs> So, Nobel's father eventually moved to Russia, where he made it big as a manufacturer of machine tools and explosives. And with the money, he decided to start work on the torpedo. Hell yeah. The torpedo? Which, Just like the original the torpedo? The very first. The, yeah, like the very first torpedo. I love that. So, with these financial windfalls, the family moved to Russia, and Nobel was able to enjoy private tutors and gain proficiency in, like, six languages and also chemistry, his real love language, um, <laughs> and also explosive, his other real love language. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now he, my love languages sound boring as fuck. Yeah, well, didn't you know that there are actually, like, six love languages, explosives being one of the them? last yeah. one? And the most important... <laughs> Yeah, the it's the most important and the most deadly. Keep your partner on your toes. <laughs> it's just like I got you a torpedo, my love. My love. <laughs> my love. Kaboom. It weighs five hundred pounds and is currently in the backyard. Uh he also wrote poetry, which was considered scandalous and blasphemous, so you know it's good. I love that. Uh yeah, I know. If someone said that anything that I wrote was scandalous and blasphemous, I'd be like, oh my god, thank you so much. I mean, but, like, I also just love that from the perspective of being, like, like, the whole Norse dealio was like, alright, this is Odin, god of war, and poetry. <laughs> and poetry. Like, we're here well, to blow shit up and hand. also write poems. We're here to blow shit up and also, you know, talk about our feelings about it. Yeah, so. I love that. Like, it's all about self-care. It's all about balance. So, um, for, for most of Nobel's life, he traveled for business and kept a home in Paris. So it always comes back to France. He was a solitary character and was given to fits of depression. So, like, same. Same-sies. Uh, same. Same. 
Uh, he never married, but he did have three great loves, one of them surprisingly not explosives. They were real people. Okay. The first was a Russian girl who rejected his marriage proposal, so ripped to a legend. Uh, the second was his Austro-Bohemian countess secretary, but she left him to marry her lover, a baron. A real step down for her, if I may weigh in. Uh, agreed. Uh, you absolutely may. Yeah, I... Yeah, well, I mean, if if you look at the like the ranks of pat- uh, like patronage, a baron is below a countess. Yeah. yeah. So, step down. Uh, she did keep up correspondence with him until his death, and it is probably because of her influence that he made the decision to include the peace prize in his will. Uh, and his last relationship lasted for about 18 years with a girl, but I guess he had four great loves because explosives were always with him <laughs> during this whole thing. I love that. So, There's at least one constant in this man's life, and I am for that. <laughs> dude, it's always explosives. So his work with explosives, though it started with his father, really kicked off when he met a guy named Escondo Sobrero, what a uh, great the inventor. Name. Yeah. I know. Escanio. I think his name is Escanio. It's almost go. as Escanio good as Sobrero. Almost. Math, I, no. No. Sorry. <laughs> Mathamine is better, but Escondio is pretty good. Escondio, though, is known as the inventor of nitroglycerin, so. There we go. Okay. Alfred right. was a real. He was a real fanboy. He was like, wow, that's a big explosive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So Sobrero looked at his invention and saw that to use it was to go beyond the powers of man because it was unpredictable. But Nobel was like, hell yeah, brother. He wanted to control it and use it as a commercially available explosive. Like, he wanted everyone to know the joy of explosives. Uh, so well, when he it's your love went language, on. You share it with people. Yeah. That's true. His love language was giving gifts. And his gift and was explosives. explosives. His gift was explosives. Give it to the people. <laughs> so he was like, hell yeah, brother. I'm going to give this to everyone. He went on to file patents for dynamite and for controlling nitroglycerin. Um, just two of the 355 patents that he held over the course of his life. Damn. So no big deal. Boy I was know. putting in work. He was putting in a lot of work. Uh, his family factory also decided that they loved war. Okay. And yeah, they loved war and started producing weapons for the Crimean War. Uh, afterwards, Nobel's father left the care of the factory in the hands of his second son, while our man Alfred could do what he loved, which was make things go boom. And he invented the detonator and blasting cap. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, father creates big, big torpedo. <laughs> son. Son creates localized. Localized explosions. explosions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. The legacy lives on. So, in, I'm sure that you're wondering, oh, a man whose family only deals in weapons and a man who only deals in bombs i'm sure nothing ever went wrong is what you're probably thinking 
Um, but I'm here to burst that bubble. Uh, in 1864, his nitroglycerin shed, because he just like kept it in a little DIY studio space, I guess. Okay. Uh, it exploded, and it killed five people, including Nobel's younger brother. No. Oh, no. I know, I know. Uh, Nobel phased, but also surprisingly unfazed by this tragedy. He created the nitroglycerin company so that he could continue his work in a more isolated area. He was like, man, I'm really sorry for killing my brother, but also my mistress, she calls. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, he did not learn from any mistakes, or maybe he did. Uh, because he then went on to invent more powerful versions of dynamite. Uh, yeah, I think we appropriately tr- titled he- the name of this episode. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, in 1884, the Royal Swedish Fish Academy of Sciences saw his work and were like, get on the team, my brother. <laughs> and along with them being arms dealers like along with the nobel family being arms dealers his brothers also founded a massive oil company and nobel invested in it gaining more money from his vast oil stocks <laughs> but just dis- yeah i know okay I know. uh but despite the airment factories and oil companies and the bombs nobel claimed that he was a pacifist oh uh, i don't know if you get to claim that when you make I don't know if you know the meaning of that when word. When you make explosions, are you able to say you're a pacifist? In the like okay, uh, like in the sense that he's not the one exploding people. Hold on, hold on. I but like Are you asking the I, internet? So like I'm I no, continue to like talk about this, so, but like when so like i get that like he is building like dynamite has a lot of other uses right like you use it for mines you use it for construction you use it for killing five people and your son brother brother yeah it just like I can see him making an argument for, like, my work in particular can be used for a lot of different things that's not war. But, like, he gained a lot of money from specifically funding, like, from specific, like, his family being war dogs. Yeah, it's, you know? It's like, like I, my brain automatically thinks of fucking, like, I, the first Iron Man movie where he's like, yeah, no, I'm totally fine. I just sell the weapons. I don't use the weapons. And then he's like, oh, no. Yeah. No, no, I fucked up. Or, or the other thing, too, is, like, the, like, oil, like, finding oil and continuing, like, an oil empire is also an inherently very violent geopolitical industry. So I don't know how you can be like, oh, personally, I'm a pacifist, but man, I'm rich as fuck because like all the stuff that my family does is decidedly not of a pacifist nature. (laughs) Anyway. That sounds like the most roundabout way to describe like a justification for pacifism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a pacifist, but whatever they know. do with it, 
It's not my problem. Whatever they do, <laughs> whatever they do is, not, is not anything related to me. Next question. Please. Yeah, just because I get direct deposit into my bank account from them doesn't make me a warmonger. Anyway, uh, I'll be in the nitroglycerin shed if you need me. Uh, so, but the main event of telling you about good old Alfred is to talk to you about, like, the Nobel Prize, obviously. Mm -hmm. There is a well-known story about its creation. Uh, when his brother died in the explosions, the newspapers published Alfred's name, Alfred's name by mistake, like, saying that he had died in the explosion. Oh, And <laughs> the obituary that they wrote for him essentially condemned him for making explosives and arms dealing. And this is said to have brought about the decision for Alfred to leave behind a better legacy so that he wouldn't be called, like, the merchant of death. <laughs> um, it It is questioned on whether or not this obituary actually existed, but either way, he did donate about... 50, no, not 50, $500 million to found the prize. Um, okay. He died in Italy in 1896, and I'm sure you're, like, wondering, oh, if he had, like, a home in Paris and, like, he like grew this? up in Russia. I No, he didn't leave because it, it, it smelled like piss. I'm under the assumption that, like, he liked Paris. Uh. Um, as all people like in the 1800s tend to tended to like Paris for no so reason. Yeah. Uh, it. Yeah, they actually all had lost their sense of smell. We as a human race only got our sense of smell back in 1959. Because of Paris. Um, because of yeah, we we really put a tamper <laughs> on Paris. <laughs> Going so hard we, like, put against a big dome Paris over it. right now. <laughs> But he died in Italy in 1896 from a stroke because he was accused of high treason in France for selling big boy dynamite to Italy. Oh, no. So. Listen, you, your whole life is spent being an arms dealer. France didn't see this coming? I mean, fair enough. Like, are you dumb or dumb? <laughs> I don't, like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. You probably like, should have seen this coming. You, you should have seen this coming. This guy has a nitroglycerin shed. You think he can be trusted on national security? No. No, not at all. <laughs> like, not at all, no. But I I did think it was really interesting that the, the founder of, like, this illustrious prize uh, did love this one particular thing so much. And, like, granted, he was he was a brilliant inventor. And, like, part of the Nobel Peace... Like, not the Peace Prize, but, like, part of the Nobel Prize is, like, you know, awards for your contributions to science yeah, and, and humanity and whatever. And, like, technically making dynamite has been very helpful. Oh, yeah. Like, we can do a lot humanity. more engineering because of dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, just, I mean, I'm sure, like, the other things that he did, because I'm not sure what the other, like... 300 patents are yeah um presumably one of them has to be non-explosive related uh probably we can't be sure probably uh but yeah i i thought it was interesting um 
because also like I just didn't know a whole lot about the prize in general uh like i know that there is a lot of like political controversy that happens around it like if it's given to someone who like a country doesn't like and then like that country boycotts the prize yeah. for a little bit but <laughs> everyone's got their panties in a bunch about something yeah uh, yeah yeah i'm pretty sure like china got mad at norway for like awarding like saying that they wanted to give the prize to like a Chinese political dissident so China was like we're not going to buy Norwegian fish. That'll that'll teach you. That'll that'll teach them. That'll, that'll teach the kids something. I guess. Those pesky Norwegians. Fucking but pesky Norwegians indeed. The the pesky Norwegians. <laughs> uh, do you guys want an update on Candyland? I would. Wait, what? I wasn't prepared for you to end your story with questioning whether or not we want an update on Candyland. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll just briefly for the viewers, and then then we'll end. Um, so I work at a public library. Uh, I know, shocking. I'm sure you can tell that by the sound of my voice. Uh, and I'm currently, like, making giant props for life-size Candyland for children to play. And, um, I'd like to announce that, uh, the characters we currently have freed from their cardboard prisons are the Mama Gingerbread Tree is her full name. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we got, um, we have the Princess Lolly. The lollipop princess. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yep. She's she's free. Grandma Nut. Uh, yeah, Grandma Nut <laughs> is also free. And Mr. Mint, the Duke of Swirl, also Hell free. Hell yes. Okay. Yes. Tomorrow we build four more characters and then we start painting. Nice. Excellent. I, I'm so, I can't wait for this to be over because I'm going to take Grandma Nut home. <laughs> That'll be so good. As to see. you should. Eye, the next time that I come visit, her eyes are I will so demand sensual. to see Nana Nut. Yeah. Do you think my neighbors, who are absolute assholes, will hate it if I build a giant 3D model of Nana yes, Nut and put they it in my will. But you should. But, They'll like call the cops. They'll be like, the thing. "There's, there's a giant they can cardboard cutout." Yeah. I'm gonna also put her name down. I'm gonna be like. I'm gonna call her Anita Nut. Anita Nut. Hey, um, Ani- Mrs. Anita Nut. Now that we've gotten here to the end of the podcast, we are Zach, here. please do the thing that you do. I will do the thing that I do. Hi, folks. It's me, Zachary. We've had a lot of laughs, and I'm glad you're here with us to join us in those laughs. But we have to get on to some pressing matters, and that pressing matter is being really appreciative of your support that you give us and also telling you to, you know, share us along with the other people that you think might enjoy us. We don't do any advertisement. We don't pay for advertisement, at least for this show. So our advertisement is you telling other people, hey, go listen to these people. They're kind of funny. This is the part of the PBS show, by the way, that's just like paid for by viewers like you. 
like you. Yes, and paid for by viewers like you by, you know, going to our Patreon and subscribing to our Patreon at the three, five, or ten dollar level. Um, you can also support us in non-monetary ways if you would like to go to iTunes and give us a rating and review. That kind of helps us put us up on the charts, so that way people just kind of see us a little bit more. Um, you can also That's head true. over to our Instagram at the underscore triumvirate underscore productions on instagram or if you head over to our facebook you just look up uh triumvirate productions on facebook and you'll find us um but you go to any of those and you give us a little like give us a little follow we'd really appreciate it and matt i'm all set i'm good i've talked let it let us let us know if you want an update on what nana nut looks yeah like. let us know if you need a <laughs> nana nut update yeah yeah, let, let me know. I'll I'll hook you if up. If you specifically with the need Nana a Nana Nut progress. Nut update, we can provide that at no cost to you. We can provide Nana Nut update. Nana n- Nut Watch. Nut Watch 2023. <laughs> um, that being oh. said, friends, uh, we've reached the end of the podcast. The true ending. The lawful good ending. Uh, and I would invite you all to say it with me if you're watching at home, listening at home. What the fuck, history? Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.